0: Church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks. Well, good morning, church. So glad y'all are with us this morning. My name is Aaron. I'm the lead pastor here at Westlake. And if this is your first time, uh, maybe you came with a family member or a friend uh, or a neighbor. We are just thrilled that you have chosen to be with us this morning. Uh, super excited. Before we continue in our service, we have a special thing I wanted to uh, do with you this morning, someone that I wanted to introduce to you. Uh, This is a very important person in the life of our Lake Forest family of churches. We are part of a family of churches, Huntersville, which was planted, by the way, 20 years ago. Can you believe that? Lake Forest Huntersville, 20 years ago. Lake Forest Davidson that was planted eight years ago. And of course, we're the baby in the family, but not for long because we were planted four years ago. Uh, Lake Forest has been praying, our elders and and our staff and our entire church community have been praying about what the next Lake Forest church plant might be for years now. And uh, it was through those prayers, and we believe through the leading of God's Holy Spirit, that he brought us to a vision of a Lake Forest church for Spanish speakers in the Lake Norman region. Uh, We began praying for that. We didn't know what that would even look like. Uh, but we had many partnerships with fantastic ministries in a part of Huntersville known as Huntington Green. And there uh, we began to just dream and pray. And God, uh, through his providence, brought us a great partner. And I want to introduce to you, him to you this morning. So would you put your hands together help me welcome to the stage Victor Lial. Victor, come on up. Okay, all right, we've got the whole family Awesome, yes. All right. Bienvenidos, linda. Thank
1: you.
0: Uh, well, guys, I'm so excited to introduce you. Victor and I are actually, uh, we're both from East Los Angeles, which is like go figure, right? And yep. we both end up here in North Carolina. So, That's uh, right. Yeah. Victor, uh, you first heard about this um, church in North Carolina that wanted to plant a Spanish-speaking Church, what what was it about that vision, that dream that first got you excited?
1: Well, first of all, I didn't know how the as, um, our general assembly got in touch with uh, Lake Forest EPC members, and but I was excited because nobody else had that vision before, like to to build a Spanish speaking uh, EPC church over in Huntersville. I was excited, and to tell you the truth, I didn't know that it was going to happen for us. But I sent my resume and. Here we are now.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, it was really cool. One of the things that is unique, and you all need to know this, we are a part of a denomination known as the EPC, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And we are in a formal partnership with the Presbytery of Mexico, uh, which is part of how this came about. Because, Victor, you did your seminary training in Mexico.
1: I did. Being from California, of course, it's cheaper over there. (laughs) But four, four years, that's where I met my wife. And three years after, she came.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, Victor, we're thrilled uh, about all that God is preparing. You have settled in a home in the Huntington Greens area, beginning to build teams, gather people. How can we as a church be praying for you in the preparations for this church plan?
1: Please continue. I know you pray for our arrival, but please continue to pray for this. This is a new step for us, brand new, you know, nothing I didn't know anything about church planting until I come here. And then, of course, Aaron and Mike Moses are my coaches. And, um, so we
0: really need to pray for you. What yes. Yeah, I, I, yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right.
1: And just pray for us. Continue to pray for us. As we, as a couple, we try to uh, launch this church. You know, our vision can be limited to what God has for that community. But uh, we just put our hands into God's and we work from there, you know. Um, we just gotta to try to spread the gospel through our lives and not going around beating people in the head, you know, with the Bibles. Yeah. But uh, it's just love. We love the community. We love the, um, where we, they put us to work with. And we just love people. That's what we wanna do and, and try to show them the love of Christ through us. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Well, uh, Rosby we're so glad that you are here. And Victor, we're thrilled to partner with both of you in this great calling. I wanted to pray for them, and I want to invite you guys to pray. I'm going to lay hands on them. Dean, I'm going to have you come up as well. And um, Rob, would you, I didn't think about this, would you come up and you can just translate for uh, Rosemary just the prayer that I'm going to pray, so she's a part of this too. and then uh, as, if you guys would all, if you feel comfortable, extend your hand. Just a symbolic act of us laying hands as we commission them as a church. Let's, let's pray together for them. Father, we are so thankful uh, for the opportunity to partner in this great venture for your kingdom. Lord, we're thankful for the calling that you've placed on Victor's life, on Rosemary's life, on their family. For the courage that they've shown in in responding to your invitation to say yes to this great challenge. Uh, And Lord, it has not been without challenge. But already we have seen your faithfulness and your provision for them. In many, many ways, we see you going before them. So Father, we ask that you would go before them now in the planting of this church. This new church. A church for folks who've given up on church but not on God. Who happen to speak Spanish as their heart language, as their first language. God, we know that you are a God of all tribes, of all tongues, of all nations, and that one day you will gather all peoples to yourself to worship you as one community. And we're honored that we get to be a small glimpse of that now as we partner between these two congregations, these two languages, as one family of churches. God, would you... Prepare Victor and Roseby for whatever it is you have in store for them as leaders, shepherds, and pastors of this church. Gracias a Dios. Gracias por esta iglesia nueva. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Hey, can we thank thank you guys for coming out? Man, it's not often I get to practice my Spanish, so that was good. That was good. Uh, well, we're going to continue our series today. I'm, I, I need a little confession up front. I'm a bit of a future junkie, uh, and by that I mean I love to read Wired magazine. Any other Wired magazine fans out there? I, I, I love it. I was reading an article a couple weeks ago about the self-driving car, right? Self-driving car, and I can't wait because. Uh, well, my insurance will go down. That's just one, one benefit from a self-driving car. But I think about self-driving cars, and isn't it cool, you know, just the promises. You can get into a car, you can kind of type in your destination, you can press the home button. And then you can just you, take a nap or you can, well, let's be honest, nobody's going to actually read a book. But you can check your Facebook or do whatever you want to do. and Even what you already do that driving and you've threatened thousands of lives, but you don't have to threaten anybody's lives anymore. You just drive. I mean, the, the self-driving car is incredible, just the kind of automation of the whole thing. And it got me thinking this week, wouldn't it be cool if we had a self-driving self? Think about this with me for a minute, right? What if there was an app on my phone that when I woke up in the morning, I could select all the things I wanted me to do that day, right? Like, like exercise, go to bed on time... Call mom, right? All the things I tend to avoid, but I I just need to do. I just check them, and maybe there could be even like a whole food section, and there would be like don't eat foods, right? Like, you know, like no cookies, no pizza or donuts. There could be like quantity, like how many do you want, like on you know Amazon, right? And you just press go, and then the rest of the day you're just like self-driving self, just going through, right? Wouldn't that be cool? I was thinking about how much I need this kind of app uh, because just two weeks ago. We hosted in our brand new Westlake offices, by the way. Y'all got to come see. These are fantastic. We hosted a meeting and some Huntersville staff came over to join us. The only problem is they brought with them something that comes from the temptation pit of hell. It's they brought with them some donuts. Now, what you need to know is these are not just any donuts. I have two weaknesses in my life. Uh, This is like kryptonite for me. Okay, the first is a maple donut, right? That's the first krypton. I can't resist it. I'm powerless. Uh, And then the other is bacon. Just bacon, period, right? But what this donut place has done, y'all kind of know where I'm going with this, right? What this donut place has done is they have combined these two great evils into one donut. It's a bacon-topped maple donut, right? And and let's be honest, it's just like, I don't know, it's like heaven, right? (laughs) It's like manna from heaven, is what it is. That's what it is. It's the bread of heaven, right? There is what that is, right? And so they brought in, because they know my weakness, they brought in a whole box of these, and they put them on the table, right, when you walk into the office. And so, of course, I walk in that morning, like I do every morning, and I I catch them out of of the side, right? And, And the first thought that comes to my mind is, get behind me, Satan, right? That's just the first thought that comes to my mind. And then about three seconds later, like Satan jumped into my mouth. I had nothing to do with it. It just, I I really didn't. I tried. I I tried, but it just, just right in there, right? And about a minute later, you know what happened? Another Satan jumped into my mouth. I I just could not stop. Five minutes later, I ate a third Satan. I, I do not know what was happening to me. I was utterly out of control. I'm thinking gosh wouldn't it be awesome if I had a self driving self? How many of y'all feel me? bacon top maple donut lovers out there anybody you all okay a couple of y'all all right well, just so you know this morning i I, uh, I, I brought some of these to to share uh, just in case anybody look at that just is that like heaven on earth so so these are cut in half, and I've asked Dave if he'll pass these out for me just so I can share in some of my sin with you, right? Uh, so, so y'all raise your hands. Those bacon lovers, come on, get a taste of this. It may be the best donut you've ever had in your life. Some of y'all are thinking, man, this church serves donuts for communion? I am coming back. No, we, we'll get to that later. Well, why all this talk about donuts this morning? I hope you all are enjoying those. Well, the reason is, is today I want to talk with you about a topic that is vital. It is everywhere in the scriptures, and it has everything to do with our spiritual lives. Today, I want to talk with you about self-control. Self-control. Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) Uh, as we get into this, I want to give us definition. Y'all are going to have the hardest time paying attention. Everybody's like, "Where's my donut?" Where's <laughs> here's here's my definition for self-control today. Right? Let's throw this up on the board. Here, here's here's working definition for self-control. Okay, self-control is the ability to recognize, recognize and choose the important over the urgent. Self-control is both the ability to recognize and to choose. The important over the urgent. Here's what we all know to be true. Wherever we come from today, this is what we know to be true. The choices that we make today, the choices that we make today determine our tomorrow, right? We, We all know this to be true. The choices that we make today will shape and determine our tomorrow. The choices that we make about food and about exercise, about sleep, those will determine our health tomorrow, right? Uh, The choices that we make about finances and spending and credit cards and debt. the, The choices we make today will determine our tomorrow. The choices that we make in our relationships today determine the kinds of relationships we have tomorrow. We all know this to be true. This is not news to you. But the question is, even though we know this to be true, Why is it that we still so often fail to make the kind of choices that we want to make? Why is it that for so many of us, when it comes to a whole range of things, we can't seem to choose the thing we want to choose, and the thing we don't want to choose, we keep choosing? You feel me? Anybody feeling me? Right? One of the most famous Christians that ever lived struggled with this very thing. If you're familiar with the Bible, you might have heard of this guy before. His name is Paul. In fact, the Apostle Paul was, uh, was one of the most profound figures in all of the Scriptures. Paul had a dramatic encounter with Jesus. He planted churches all over the Roman Empire. And he even died for his faith in Jesus. If ever there were a superstar Christian, this was he. And yet, Paul struggled with this very thing. In fact, in his famous letter to the church in Rome, he writes it this way. He says, I don't really understand myself for what I want to do. Excuse me, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I'm like, yeah, Paul, I feel you, man. Like, I'm right with you. Paul, did you struggle with bacon top maple donuts, too? I think he probably did, right? we're in a series right now called Word to the Wise, and we're looking at wisdom about how we can live our life at its best. We're using the book of Proverbs, a book from the Old Testament in the Bible, that gives us practical guidelines for making wise choices and living life wisely. And today, we come to this topic that is covered throughout the Proverbs, this idea of self-control now, what I want to do with us today is I want to bounce around. We're going to cover a lot of territory, so I want to give you up front kind of a road map. We've got three road signs along the way. The first road sign says we're going to look at what the Proverbs say is the problem when it comes to self-control. That we're going to look at the problem. Secondly, we're going to look at some advice that the Proverbs give us. And then we're going to look at our hope. We're going to look at our hope. Problem, advice, and our hope. Look at this warning that the proverb writer gives us in chapter 25. He writes this. He says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into left without walls. Let's read that aloud together. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, of course, this does not just apply to men, does it? Uh, remember, this was a collection of wisdom written from a father to his son. But the father could have just as easily written to his daughter and said that a woman without self-control is like a city. He could be writing to both sons and daughters. This is gender-inclusive wisdom. So we could just as easily translate it, a person without self-control. So what does it mean? What does the writer of Proverbs mean by comparing a person... ...to a city. That's kind of an odd comparison. This can be a bit confusing for us. You see, in our modern era, cities are not surrounded by walls, are they? You don't have to knock on a gate or, or cross a drawbridge to get into uptown Charlotte. You, you have to do something much more difficult. You have to drive I-77, right? That's <laughs> Death trap is what that is. But in the ancient world, cities, cities in the ancient world lived or died by their fortifications. They lived or died by their walls... Most cities were built on mounds or hills, uh, but having the high ground was not enough to protect you. You needed walls. You needed walls to protect you from natural predators, from marauders and thieves. You needed walls to protect you from invading armies. Farmers and shepherds, they'd wake up in the morning. They would go out beyond the walls into their fields, but at night they returned to the city, the safety of the city, For their very lives depended on it. So what does it mean that a person without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls? Here's what I think it means. It means that a person without self-control is vulnerable. They have no gate, no protection. They have no ability to resist, no ability to say no, no ability to guard or protect what matters Most Remember our definition. The ability to recognize and choose the important over the urgent. And we know this to be true. Because a lack of self-control, it can destroy everything. It can destroy a career. It destroys a marriage. It can destroy a friendship, a bank account, a family, a dream. There is no area beyond the reach when self-control is absent. So... What are some areas that the Proverbs say we need to practice self-control in? What are some of the areas where we need to live with greater self-control? I love some of these examples. These are just a few of many. Let me me share a couple of my favorites with you. Proverbs 23, 20 through 21 says, "Do uh, Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. I'm thankful he didn't say donuts. For drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Okay, so one of the warnings is about how much we eat, how much we drink. Another one here. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. We need self-control when it comes to anger. Anger that's not reined in can wreak havoc in a home, can't it? Another one here. Those who guard their mouths... And their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Lack of self-control when it comes to our, our words. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Or, or gossip or, or the ability to, to guard what has been entrusted to us. That can bring destruction. Or how about this one? This one is my favorite. This is for all you paleo people out there. If you find honey. Now remember, honey was like the sweetest, sugariest thing in the ancient world. Let's just, let's just say it like it is. If you find donuts, eat just enough. <laughs> Too much of it and you will vomit. And that is almost what happened to me just two weeks ago. I ate that third donut. I, I had to lay down. I was like in a coma. A donut coma is what I was in because I ate too much instead of just enough. Now, we laugh. We laugh at these. And we, and we should, right? We, these are kind of obvious, aren't they? We all know that too much of these things this isn't good. But lack of self-control can honestly show up in all kinds of areas in our lives. In fact, I heard a story this week on one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, it's a podcast called The Art of Manliness. Don't you love that? It's Art of Manliness. It's just a, a dad like me talking about what does it mean to be a man. And he tells this story on there about another young man he, he had heard of, a college student who had become addicted to playing the uh, World of Warcraft. Any World of Warcraft fans? Now, before this college student had started playing, he was a star athlete, right? He was a star athlete. Uh, He was playing on his college football team. He had straight A's. And then at one point, this this Warcraft habit just took over his life such that he spent five weeks straight locked up in his room. He did not leave his room for five weeks. He arranged for, uh, uh, he paid a guy to deliver pizza regularly to him. He slept as little as one or two hours A night and over five weeks he gained 40 pounds and started losing his hair. (laughs) Now, parents, before you go home and throw away your kid's Xbox, let me tell you about some recent studies about us, right? Uh, Some recent studies show that the average parent, get this, parents, the average parent spends three to four hours a day on their handheld device. Three to four hours a day. You know what that study also found about kids? Watch this. This blew my mind. The number one desire that kids had in this study was that their parents would put down their phones. Let that sink in for a minute, right? You see, none of us are beyond the reach. None of us are not vulnerable when our walls are destroyed because of a lack of self-control. Now, it's hard. I get it. Every time I pick up my phone and there's a little red notification dot, I, I feel good, right? Like, there's my brain, get, you know this, your brain gets a little squirt of dopamine, right? Like That's like little pleasure chemicals in your brain. Every time Facebook says, oh, somebody liked your post, right? I feel, I don't know, I suddenly matter in the universe or something, right? We, we like that feeling. But that little squirt of dopamine, just like alcohol, sugar, gossip, pornography, these little boosts of dopamine in our brain... These little momentary pleasures can be quite addicting. Now, I'm not saying we need to throw away every device. I'm just saying, have we stopped to consider what self-control looks like in that area of our lives? In our world of technology and instant gratification, the need for self-control has never been greater. For a person without self-control is like a city broken into, left without walls. All right, so we're starting to feel the problem here. I told you, first move, first move was the problem, right? We all in the same boat together. We all have areas where we are like wallless cities because of a lack of self-control. So what are we to do? What are we to do? Move number two is this. Thankfully, the Proverbs don't just warn us about the need for self-control. They actually offer us some guidelines, some suggestions on what we can do to gain it. Look at this verse from Proverbs 14, 8. Listen to this. This this is subtle but quite profound. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. But the foolish deceive themselves. What's he talking about here? Well, the wisdom of the prudent is what we've been talking about in this series. With everything in life, the Proverbs say, there are two choices. There is the path of the fool and there is the path of the wise. And the choice is yours, right? God gives us that choice. That is what it means, uh, the wisdom of the prudent. There is a wise way and there is a foolish way. Now, the foolish deceive themselves. I don't have this in my notes, but I just had to sneak this in because I think this is great. The the idiom here, the word structure behind this is uh, to falsify scales. Do you know what falsifying scales is? It's like this scale that my wife and I have at home in our bathroom for weighing ourselves. It's an old-fashioned one. It's not digital, so there's a little calibrating knob on the side that you're supposed to set to zero before you get on it, Right. But if I'm not really feeling good about I can just I can just kind of falsify I can fudge it over here and then I get on the scale wow I'm like I'm like 80 pounds today. This is awesome, right? You see, I'm deceiving myself. I'm falsifying the scales. Do you get a picture of that? Now, the key to this verse, though, is this phrase right in the middle. The wisdom of the prudent. The wise person who wants self-control does this. He or she gives thought. To their ways. And I just love this phrase. It it literally means to step outside of oneself and look. Get a feel for that? To step outside of yourself and look and consider, okay, what are my ways? What am I getting ready to choose in this moment? It's in every decision to think about the consequences To actually say, hey, if I move forward with this, this decision, where is this going to lead me? What happens next? It's what one author calls playing the movie forward. Now, I've taught on this before, and if you've been with us for a number of years, you've heard me use this phrase. I think this is so profound, it bears repeating this Sunday. To give thought to your ways is to stop to look at the choice you're getting ready to make, and to play that movie forward. Where will this lead? If I choose this right now, how will this determine the next scene? Because the choices we make today determine our tomorrow. One of the best examples of playing the movie forward uh, comes from a famous psychology experiment in the 70s. Uh, it's often referred to as the marshmallow experiment. Maybe you've heard of it before. I want to tell you a little bit about it. In the marshmallow experiment, uh, researchers gave four year olds, they, they put a four year old in a room by themselves. Uh, you probably can't get away with that today, but they did in the 70s. They put a four year old in the room and they would put a marshmallow on the plate in front of that four year old with only one rule. They said, you can eat that marshmallow right now, or if you wait 10 minutes, you get two marshmallows. You see the experiment? Now, all they had to do was wait 10 minutes, and they would get double the marshmallow, double the sugar, right? That's a pretty good reward. The experiment has been repeated dozens of times. Here's a photo of one boy that was in it, and just, just look at this poor boy's turmoil. I mean, do you see this? I mean, he's giving a lot of thought to his ways. He is smelling his thought in one scene. Do you see that? He just picks up the mark He just, can, can you smell that marshmallow right now? You can almost smell it, can't The sugar? Now, you know what's interesting? Do you know how many of these kids were able to wait the 10 minutes it took to get the second marshmallow? Well, think, think, here, here do this. Turn, turn to the neighbor, turn to your neighbor. Tell them how, how many, what percentage of kids do you think were able to wait? Go. All right, you, you got your answers? Any wagers? Here, so some of y'all are like uh, zero, right? Because I'm an adult, I couldn't wait 10 minutes. I'm just popping that thing, right? <laughs> Actually, here's what they found. Only one out of three kids were able to make it ten minutes. Only one out of three. Isn't that interesting? One out of three was able to make it to the end, to the desired outcome. And here's what the researchers found. It wasn't that these kids had better parents. It wasn't that these kids were smarter. It wasn't even that they were more disciplined. What researchers found was that these kids had one ability that the others didn't. Somehow these kids were able to imagine the future the future of two marshmallows, and to see it as a simple decision, a decision to not eat the one now in order to have the two later. A simple decision in the present was connected to the future that they desired. In other words, they were able to play the movie forward, weren't they? Somehow in their imagination, they could see what they really wanted in the future and they could choose it. Now, in psychology, this is referred to as executive functioning. And all that means is the ability to do exactly what the proverb is describing. To step outside of ourselves and consider the choice we're making and where that's going to lead us. And that is a uniquely human trait. That is part of the image of God that has been stamped onto us. No other creature on this planet has that ability. Kind of reminds me of what the psalmist says when he says that God has put eternity into the hearts of mankind. Something about this God-given ability to imagine our futures. Now, you might think, okay, Aaron, uh, this is kind of funny, or this is getting really boring, this is a little bit nerdy. Here's the real kicker. Here's the real kicker. You ready? You know what researchers found when they followed up with these kids 30 years later? The two marshmallow kids across the board, two marshmallow kids were more successful than the one marshmallow kid in almost every area of life. They had greater academic achievements, career achievements, earning power. They had healthier relationships. They even get this. This blows my mind. They even had lower body mass index. (laughs) Something about their ability to play the movie forward. Now, why does this matter Because here's the reality that we all live in. Every single day, you and I face one marshmallow, two marshmallow choices, don't we? Every single day, we face these kinds of choices. Choices that will determine our tomorrow. And if we are not able to stop, consider our ways, and play the movie forward, we run the risk of missing out on the best life that God has for us. And the Bible is full of stories just like this, where people failed to play the movie forward. And they made decisions in haste with no real thought put into them. Maybe you're familiar with some of these stories. Let me give you just a couple examples. Y'all remember Adam and Eve in the garden? Think about this. God says, you can have it all. You can have every marshmallow on every tree. Just don't eat this one marshmallow on this one tree. It will ruin everything else. But then the serpent comes along and says, oh... Don't worry about your tomorrow. Look, the marshmallow is pleasing to the eye right now. Don't you want it? And it tastes good right now. Just go for it. Hey, you deserve it. You need it, right? Or think about Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel uh, were both worshiping God, but one gets jealous of the other. And in a moment of haste, he decides to take his brother out on a hike and kill him. Like, and you thought your relationship with your brother was bad, right? Talk about giving full vent to your anger. He, oh, he cannot see, he, he cannot play the movie forward. Or how about this one? Jacob and Esau, they were also brothers. Esau comes in one day from working hard and he is starving. And his brother has just made a delicious smelling bowl of ramen noodles. Uh, but there's only enough for one person. And so Jacob says, hey, listen, I will trade you my bowl of noodles for your portion of dad's inheritance. And Esau... Instead of pressing the pause button, stepping outside and playing the movie forward, he says, OK, I'm starving. Give it to me. And he forfeits his entire future. OK, one more just for good measure. I mean, I told you the Bible is filled with these. How about King David? You all remember King David, the man after God's own heart? He struggled with this too, didn't he? He goes out on the balcony one night. He sees a beautiful woman out on her deck. And he says, you know, well, the only problem here is they're both married to other people. And instead of pressing the pause button, stepping outside, what does David do? He sends her a Snapchat. <laughs> she swipes right and it's all downhill, right? I mean, it's just, they're just, oh, it's over. It's over. It's over. See, the problem is that sometimes there are decisions that we make when we don't even... Oh, excuse me, there are decisions we make where we don't want to play the movie forward, do we? If we're honest with ourselves, we, we would rather deceive ourselves. We would rather fudge the scales. We make the purchase. We click on the website. We tell the half-truth. Even though we know tomorrow we will regret it. Proverbs 19.2 puts it this way. It says, desire, listen to this, desire without knowledge is no good. It's no good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? I want you to reflect for a moment. How many of the bad decisions in your life could have been avoided if you had been willing to stop and play the movie for? My guess is that your greatest regrets in life come from choices you made in the moment where you did not stop and play the movie forward. I've often wondered about King David. How many, how many times did he wish he could go back and replay that scene, right? Because the chaos that erupted from in his own life. I mean, he had to deceive Bathsheba's husband To come home, he had to lie, he had to to kill. I mean, just unbelievable what he went through because of that one choice. Now, as awesome as this concept is, as awesome as it is to say, all right, Aaron, I get it. Uh, in a moment, I, I, need, I want to be a two-marshmallow person. I don't want to be a one-marshmallow mar- person. I, I want to be able to stop and, and step aside, consider my ways, and play the movie forward. And, and yes, that will work for all of us about 90% of the time, won't it? About 90% of the time. We're good with that. And that's actually how we exercise wisdom, and that's good and true. And as awesome as this concept is, it is not our ultimate hope as Christians. It is not the ultimate answer when it comes to self-control. And if you're not a Christian and you're here today, this is very important for you to know. Because if someday you decide that you want to become a Christian, that you want to surrender your life to Jesus, to let him be the leader and captain of your life, if you make that decision, there is a promise that you're given in the Scriptures. And it has to do with this very thing. You see, because if you and I live life long enough, and we will, we will eventually reach the place where we face something that our own willpower cannot overcome. We all will. You live long enough, and eventually, you will run out of willpower, and there will be something that is beyond your control, beyond your power, and it will rule you. And it might be anger, and the outbursts in your home, Tearing apart relationships. Or maybe it might be your constant need to control others, to dominate them, to manipulate. Maybe it will be more connected to your need to always be approved and always be liked. Or it might be one of the typical things we think of. Workaholism, alcoholism, body image, food, money, pornography. Eventually, it does not matter what it is. Eventually, we all will encounter something In the face of which we are powerless to resist, our willpower will not be enough. But here's where the good news of the gospel becomes our hope. Because the good news of the gospel is that we don't do it alone. What the scriptures teach is that self-control is not ultimately something that comes from ourselves. Self-control is something that can only be received as a gift, as a grace from God. Look at how Paul describes it. The very same Paul who said, Whoa, it's me. I keep doing the thing I don't want to do. Who's going to save me from this body of death? And he says, the answer is Jesus. But look at what he writes here to Timothy. He says this. Remember, Timothy, don't forget this. That God... God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and what? Self-control. In Galatians, the very end of the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, this is the kind of fruit that the Spirit of Christ will produce in your lives when you surrender to Him. It will be love and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. In Colossians, this is the fruit of someone who puts on Christ. Self-control is what God produces in our lives. Self-control does not come from the self. It only comes from the Spirit of God. And in my own life, in my own life, I have learned this most profoundly from my friends in the 12-step program. I don't know how much you know about Alcoholics Anonymous or NA or SA, but, but the 12-steppers have really been a huge gift to the church because they understand this truth better than anyone. And they summarize it in this phrase. It goes like this. I can't, God can, and I will let him. Can you say that with me? I can't, God can, and I will let him. It's actually a summary of the first three steps. Did you know that? Step one, I can't. I am powerless against this force in my life. And we all have that with something, don't we? We all have that with something. I can't. I'm powerless. Oh, but guess what? God can. There is a power greater than me that lives in me that can help me overcome this addiction, this temptation, this desire. God can. Oh, but thirdly, there's a role for me to play. I will let Him. And that's where our ultimate hope is found as Christians. That as we surrender... To Christ. He fills us with His Spirit and He aids us through the power and love of His Spirit to have self control that we could not have on our own. That is the hope of the gospel. There's another AA saying, and I just love this because uh, a lot of AA groups tend to meet in church basements. I'm not sure why they always get the basement, but uh, uh, AA groups tend to meet in basements. And so there's a saying amongst AA groups that goes like this. They say, there are two ways, does this sound like Proverbs? There are two ways you can enter a church. You can enter on the main level and and continue pretending. Or you can go down to the basement and be transformed. Don't you love that? See, that's a picture of surrender, isn't it? The great mystery of the gospel is that the only source of self-control that can overcome what we cannot overcome on our own is found by surrendering to Christ and saying, God, I can't, but you can, and I want to let you. So how about you today? How about you? As I was talking earlier about those various temptations. Maybe it's not a bacon top maple donut for you. Maybe it's not Warcraft. Maybe it is. I don't know. But what are those choices in your life right now that if you were to play the movie forward, you'd say, Aaron, I do not like where this story is going. I don't want this to be the story that God writes in my life. But I don't know how to change it. I don't feel like I have the power to resist. What's that area for you? My hope is that this morning, as we have played that movie forward together, that that might have given you just enough courage to say, God, I want to ask you to come and help me. I want to ask you to give me the power I need to make this change in my life. And in just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. And I want to invite you. This is just you and God. You don't have to, do you don't have to tell anybody else. He, he may lead you to invite somebody else in on the journey. I mean, every 12-stepper knows uh, you don't do this alone. You don't do it alone. But today, right now, just you and God. What if today as you come to receive the elements, you say, God, in this area of my life, I want to surrender this to you. I can, but you can. And I'm going to open myself up to that work in my life today. What might God do? How might your story be different as you surrender to Him? Let's all stand.